All right, Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 66 of the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Julian Gill, admin on the Kiss FAQ message board. So yes, it is all my fault. Joining me today are Marcus Almighty. Mark, welcome back. Greetings. St. Louis Kiss, Lonnie. Good, good luck this season. Um, and Ken, Hello. 69th Blizzard. Everyone, usual gang, I guess, today. So uh, early news was uh, a pop-up on my phone when I got up this morning was Ace Fairly, new song up on iTunes, Emerald, which is, of course, a cover of a very, very classic Thin Lizzy song, um, which I'm more familiar with because of Def Leppard covering it early on in their career rather than being a fan of Thin Lizzy as such. I got to say, I'm not a big fan of this song as Ace has done it and Slash features with him on guitar, which I guess is another somewhat topical thing today, right, Lonnie? Um, That's right. So, you know, check it out on iTunes. It's up on uh, YouTube as well for free for those of you who don't want to pay for it. But I prefer the live version that he's doing with Richie because when I think Ace and a guitar war, I always think Richie's the perfect foil for him, always has been in terms of what he looks like on stage, how he plays. I mean, it's like... Yeah, a couple of maybe Keith Richards going at it, you know, maybe with a bit of imagery of Kiss Me It's the Phantom of the Park clone battle going on. So that's just that's just personal taste. Some people like Slash. I, am, I think he's vastly overrated, but there we go. Um, yeah, Lottie, yeah, just like <laughs> just little jabs. Just, just keep keep on keep. Revenge sucks too. So, <laughs> all right, topic for today. You know, I, I thought, why don't we talk about what our holy trinity, you know, to put a Peter Chris phrase in, um, of Kiss albums do we have that come to mind? And it's our th- basically our top three albums, the three that we cannot be without. Um, and I guess it doesn't even need to be your top three. It's just the three albums of Kiss of any era, of any time throughout the band's history that you really have to have together. They're your th- your three albums that without which it doesn't matter if kiss alive you know falls off the face of the earth if you don't have these albums you're going to be like a schoolgirl in tears because someone took your candy and pulled your your pigtails <laughs> so i'm i'm not going to go in any particular order on this i think it would make more sense just to throw them out and you can tell me if it's your top top or your third or your or if you don't even want to rank them they're just they're they're unrankable so mark why don't we start with you on one of your picks on and what makes it that holy trinity for you before mark goes can you do a a live or compilation you do whatever you want this is a free podcast yeah okay you don't have any rules it's a free world there you go. Rock and roll over. So, I think that yes. it goes without saying that this, for me, as I've mentioned in many other podcasts prior, is my favorite Kiss album, period. Now, the reason why it is that way is because it has many memories tied to it for me. And I think I must have mentioned in one of the, my prior podcasts before when I was on tour with one of my bands in the uh, Azor Islands, we had two records that were of American making there, and the rest were all Portuguese. I couldn't understand it all at this guy's house that we were staying at. One of them was this one, 
and the other one was Deep Purple's Made in Japan. So this one was played like every day for like a week and a half while we were living down there. And it became a record that I never got sick of listening to, I found, as, as I was listening to it for that whole time I was down there. And even when I came back and years later, when I, when I heard that they were going to re reissue these albums, this was the first one that came into my head that I wanted to get right away. So, And it's also, I mean, when I listen, when I think of the track listing on this, there, to me, there isn't really anything weak on this record. I mean, sure, you could say they're, that's, uh, you know, based on opinion, obviously. Some people might not agree with me at that, but I really like this. I can listen to this album top to bottom. You know, I could put it on repeat and it doesn't, it's one of the rare records I can listen to two, three times in a row and it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. I mean, and also to the point where I have I have six copies of this record. That's probably nothing compared to some people I've seen out there. But you know, it's very it's very rare that I would that I would get that many copies of any record. So then this one here is my Canadian quality records version of it, which I don't know if I can. Oh yes, right there. You can. I don't know if you can see that, but yeah, that was looking very shiny. I thought that was going to be one of the 2014 issues. No, no, it's not. It's, it's just I. I got it in the foil, but I mean, even if I take it out of the foil, it's it's actually in pretty, it's in pretty great shape actually. I I was hunting around for a good copy of it, so. Looks good. It's, yeah. No, that, that's so, that's 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 always been a great album. I I love that you've picked my all-time favorite album because that's obviously going to be my number one pick always. Um, as far as far as the studio albums go, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I don't think there's a dud track on there. And there's never been one that I've felt the need to reach for the, you know, the skip button on whatever I've been pl I've been playing with, you know, CD or cassette. You know, it's it's just perfection. And maybe because it's the anti-destroyer is what makes it so fun, so listenable that it was their reaction against the reaction to Destroyer initially. Yeah. And going out of their comfort zone as perfect as Destroyer is. And one last little thing about it, just sorry before I forget, Eddie Kramer, I think, did one of his best jobs on this, and it's one of those records I listen to on headphones I find very fascinating, because I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but Eddie Kramer, at that time in his career, t tended to have a tendency of recording his drums in mono. They were never panned out in stereo. Everything was just dead center, and he'd put all his guitars left right, which was very strange to do with drums, because usually when they got into the advent of recording in stereo, they would pan out everything in stereo, overheads and the toms, but he never did that in those 70s-era records that he did. He kept everything, bam, straight in the middle with the drums, which gave it a kind of a more in-your-face, punchy kind of tone to them, which I thought was interesting. Doesn't that then just make it sound like everything else he did in the 70s, if he's got those all straight down the middle? Well, just the drums, right? I mean, the the guitars and all that. He kind of he he split them out and he moved them out, and he he did give a stereo spectrum in there. But with the drums, he he tended to just do that for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just something that he preferred to do for the tonality of it, or I'm not sure. It's the one recording for me that comes anywhere near to matching the sonic qualities of the demo in '73, and I always like the sound of that the original raw, rough-and-ready kiss. And then you take that, you know, from a musician's perspective, I don't notice the drums as much as the layers of guitars. 
mm-hmm. you know, and what really seems to work for this album for, that makes it so good to me is Ace and Paul are completely synchronized on this. You've got so many different layers and nuances of those guitar sounds. Ace's lead work, and I don't care if one of the songs has a binky solo on it, you know. Um, you know, for those who don't know what that means, it's, you know, to play an off-the-cuff solo like Binky would do. You know, just mm-hmm. come up with something, not have Binky write you a solo and play it. Though there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> either, for that matter, when it comes to Binky. But, you know, the guitars are, are just so raw. They're rough. They're in your face. But they're not ragged. They're not, you know, mm-hmm. jarring your ears. They're not broken glass. So you add that with all the music and the great songs. I mean, you start off with... I Want You, which is just a fantastic lead-in track. After they've done Destroyer and they've kicked in with Detroit Rock City and King of the Nighttime World, a massive one-two knockout punch, to come up with something like I Want You, which shows that they have grown, even though they're going back to doing things stylistically like they did before Destroyer. You know, It still shows growth coming up with songs like that. You know, I just love it. And finishing up with Making Love, I mean... Just raw kiss. I cannot get enough of that sort of music. Lonnie, what are your? What's one of your picks? One of my picks, and I think for things like this, I think we all pick them not only just for the music on them, but like for the for the memories that that album necessarily brings to you and the place in your life where you were. So, for me, one of them, and this isn't necessarily in order. For me, one of them is Creatures of the Night. And it's not only is it a great album, start to finish, um, and it's, you know, but you put it in perspective of where the album lands in their catalog of Kiss returning to their roots, of being a heavier band as opposed to music from the Elder and Unmasked and, and parts of Dynasty. But for me, you know, it's, it's growing up with that album, too. It's one of the first albums I had as a kid. And, and I mean, and it is fantastic just from start to finish, you know, with opening up with those drums of Creatures of the Night and the production on there. I mean, you talk about the layers of guitar on, on Rock and Roll Over. I mean, the way the guitar sounds on that, um, uh, Michael James Jackson's production on there is just out of this world and just broadcast to another level. And it's really one of the, up to that point, one of the better quality sounding Kiss studio albums other than Rock and Roll Over um, as far as making the band really sound heavy. Um, it, 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 almost, it almost gave them a heavier feel than what they really are. Um, I mean, they're, they're a heavy band, don't get me wrong, but I mean, they're not, you know, they're, they're not real heavy, you know, per se. They're not heavy metal? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're not going to see them in the heavy metal. If you go to the record store, if, you know, you have a, a rock section or a heavy metal section, they're going to be in the rock section. They're not... Heavy, heavy band. Yeah, but, they're not. They're yeah. not. They're not filed next to nuclear assault. No, or Slayer exactly. or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that album is just start to finish for me. Is is just one of my favorites. I mean, and then and then you have the image of the band on the front. You know, it's one of the most iconic album covers of all time. And just start to finish, you know, and ending with you know, I talk about the drum intro of Creatures of the Night, the way the album starts off with that punch of. And the just kicking the balls of that song, and it ends with another track that kicks you in the ass again with with War Machine and leaves you wanting wanting more. That and you know I can none of us I guess Ken you bought we probably bought Creatures when it came out and you you probably just thought like right. God thank God they're back 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah, had I went to crazy. You had yeah. to have. That, like, my favorite band is finally back and doing what they want to do. And maybe I don't have to go to school or go to work and or talk to my friends and have to be embarrassed to try to defend them a little bit because, <laughs> you know, this kicks ass and there's no denying it. So, um, you guys know what my number one is, but that's Creatures of the Night for me is, is definitely would be my top three no matter what. Yeah, Lonnie, uh, that. I've told that story before where I, I got the album, I think, about two days before it was release, released. One or two days before it was released. Oh, really? Because I knew somebody at Tower. Mm-hmm. And he gave it to me. He says, oh, here, you can have this. And he, he just gave it to me. <laughs> it wasn't promo copy, but uh, he gave it to me. And, just got it in a couple of days early. Uh, yeah. And I said, oh, cool, man. So I took it home immediately. And when I, I put that thing on, I was like, oh, man, I was so happy. I, you know, I was calling my my friend up and saying, "You're not going to believe it. They're back." You know, so yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a that's a great pick, great pick. But just think of how many people had gone and didn't get to experience that, like you did. I mean, there you were. You'd stuck around. You'd been through Unmasked. You'd been through the Elder. You'd had the oh, you know, of creatures of the night. <laughs> oh, they're back. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> And, and in the yeah. meantime, how many people just jump ship in the meantime? And they're too? gone. And obviously, they a lot to, because you talk about the attendance it. on the creature store. Yeah, I mean, people just, you know, I'm just done because I can't. And a lot of people jump ship with Dynasty, and, and you know, and more people just got off board as time went on. And I don't get that the, with Dynasty. Why anyone would have jumped ship? Because as far as the material goes, other than I was made for loving you, I may be sure know something. I think you can mm-hmm. point a finger, kind of a mm-hmm. Paul. The rest of it is, yeah, like straight, Save Your Love, Dirty Rock. Straight ahead, you know, it's not it's complex rock and roll. It's you know the kind of stuff that Kiss always did. Save Your Love, Hard Hard Times, Dirty, dirty Living. Dirty hey. Living is the same as Baby Driver overall stylistically, and once it's been Kissified from the original <laughs> demos, I mean, there is absolutely yep. nothing left turn on that album other than a little bit of a a very slight nod towards disco with I Was Made For Loving You. Yeah, that's not a full-on disco song anyway. I mean, it's like, get real. So, mm-hmm. you know, Di- Dynasty, nah, no problem at all with that. All right, Ken. So let's have your first pick. Well, um, this is so hard. Uh, I mean, the only one that uh, I have a match already, <laughs> of course, um, uh with Mark, so I'm not gonna even go. With, I'll go over it quick. You know, Rock and Roll Over was one of my picks, and for the same reasons that you know uh, Julian was talking about, Mark was talking about. I mean, it was the first one I really knew it was Kiss when I heard it when the guy played it for me, and it, it just hooked me. And that, I, you know, that's it. You know, it's I've been hooked since the beginning, and and yes, the way that was produced and the you know the guitars and the sound, the raw sound. And, um, it was perfect. And, you know, even the way they put acoustic guitars underneath yep. some of the, you know, in that was, it was just, you know, brilliant. And it's made it sound that much better. So I'll just get that out, you know, quick. Uh, that's a great album. And that was one of my picks. So I'm going to go to my, another one and I'm going to go to probably, it was my second, I think album I bought cause I had a live two first. So, uh, a double platinum, um, I know it's not a it's a own single album like you know Hotter Than Hell or something but it 
introduced me to all the earlier stuff. I mean, it, it exactly. gave me where you were all those good, uh, you know, uh, songs from you know Kiss and Hotter Than Hell and Trust to Kill and and so on. I mean, it didn't give me everything, but it gave me such a great look at what they did up to the point you know uh, where that album came out in '77. Though they, you know, I know they remixed it because when I started buying the older albums and I started hearing differences. <laughs> in the mixes and, and things of, Oh, this is how it really was. And, you know, I could see how they changed things. So, um, so that, that was a big deal for me. I mean, that was the one that really after Alive two introduced me to their core material up to that point, And all of it is good on there. I mean, there's nothing bad on double platinum. Um, I mean, even strutter 78, I, you know, I like the single version better than the, the album version, but uh, it's it's mm-hmm. it's all good, and, you know. That's a great pick, that was, the, and I can relate to that too because that that's that's um that was my introduction to a lot of their back catalog too. Other than I, you know, I always talk about High Destroyer and Creatures of the Night, but I think Devil Platinum was one of the first ones that we got. My brother and I got as well. You know, we got like right when CDs were coming out. It's like I think it was, might, might have been the first one we ever had on CD. You know, and it was the first time I ever heard Cold Gin and Black Diamond and songs like that. So, I mean, that, that's a great pick because I can totally re- relate to where you're coming from. Yeah, and same here. You know, when I was first discovering the band, It and Alive were, well, this this album costs only a little bit more than the rest. And it's got way more songs on it. And right. at, at that point, yeah. oh, oh, it's got some that are on that first album. So, I mean. Well, I'll just get that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just going to get that. Yeah, so cool. it served its purpose, you know as an introduction which then made me go and buy the rest of the albums because there was enough good stuff on there and just right. look at that track listing i mean that is absolutely insane to think that that is basically mm-hmm. the core of the catalog to this day the stuff that's most likely to be performed live you know a couple of token songs here and there from you know the 80s and you're less likely to get anything from revenge or, you know, we still never had anything from Carnival of Soul. So, you know, that is the KISS catalog right there. Represent. I think it's a great, yeah. yeah, it's a great introduction to give somebody. Oh, yeah. You want to, if someone wants to be introduced to KISS. It's like, I a, never heard KISS album. or whatever. Well, here, you know, Double Platinum's pretty good thing to, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of choice cuts. and Plus the, chef, the cover's shiny. Yeah, and it's just, <laughs> it's just a shame that it hasn't had sort of the same success. As take uh, Aerosmith's Greatest Hits, that 1980 yeah. album that sold yeah. like 15 million point, copies. Julie. You know, why has Kiss's song, which has the same, you know, important core catalog songs of that band, not had the same level of success, apart from being a double album and be, probably being a bit yeah. more expensive price point than Greatest Hits ever was, which was always in the, the bargain bin Barnish, when yeah. I in, you know, in the early mid '80s when I remember seeing that. But if if you put it up pound for pound against that Aerosmith album, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter which side of the which army you're batting for at that point, whether it's Kiss Army or Jean Jacket Army or Denim Army, whatever the Aerosmith guys called their their lot in the Aero Force One. Aero, think, yeah, yeah, Aero Force One. I think it's a time. Well, Maybe thing. It's, yeah. I think it has more to do with the fact that they just had a better promotional team, Aerosmith, at that point. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it was out more. People heard about it. I mean, people buy it because when they when it's in your face and you hear about it, you go and get it. I mean, sure, we have that one very classic 
commercial with you know Bogart there with the revolving album there, you know, double platinum, you know. Right. And th- but that's but that's about it. I mean, that's the only other thing I've seen for promotion as far as double platinum. I'm sure there was radio spots and stuff like that, but I mean, it's it's just possible that maybe there were more out there in magazines and maybe they were out there more in radio spots and maybe maybe Aerosmith's promo team just did a hell of a lot more to get that record out there yeah and of course you got to remember what was it april 78 when it comes out that you know kiss is at the height of their probably market oversaturation exactly and they're about they're about to abuse you even more of four solo albums so 1980 Aerosmiths, you know, lost Joe Perry. They don't have an album coming out. They're kind of on the down. So, you know, it, it makes sense from that perspective. Yeah. But if you're going to introduce someone to Kiss, even to this day with all the compilations that have come since, I still think Double Platinum or Alive are your best things to gifts to give to someone. Yeah. As far as a straight compilation goes, it's definitely definitely the best. Better than any Greatest Kiss or um, the very best of Kiss or any of those other ones. It's still... It's still not yeah. to me the number one, the best compilation they ever put out. It it definitely seems like it was almost made that way for people who were just getting into the band at that point. Like here, if you want to know what they're all about, you just pick this record up and you'll have everything in one sitting. Uh, one other thing, I would have liked for them to do a, a double platinum too. You know, stuff that was after that, maybe from Dynasty past, and and put a double platinum too out. Just think they could have done anything instead of smashes, thrashes, and yes. <laughs> which... yeah. Those new Although that sold songs. better, though, ironically, didn't it? It sold very well. It, yeah, it's double yeah, platinum. It's... So I don't know. It's timing. It, it, it's so, sickening. Isn't <laughs> when you when you think of those three songs on that album that oh and and the remixing, the quality of it compared to the oh, work that Sean cringe. Delaney and uh, you know did for. Double platinum. Like Mike Stone. Yep. You know, they did a fantastic job if you think of the the producer's material that they had to work with. So, you know, that's, that's really cool. Okay, let's get into another pick, and I'm going to go. Um, I was going to say the first album, but I can't. As much as I love that album from start to finish, and it really is, you know, pop perfection, if it sounded like rock and roll over sonically, it would be one of my picks, and it would probably be one of the greatest debut albums ever, apart from the fact it's still pretty damn good with the songs. So I'm going to have to go with Alive and not bother with any of the first three albums, because just like Double Platinum is a great representation of the studio catalog up to 1978, Alive is the ultimate representation of those first three albums, sounding as they wanted them to sound, allegedly, but... It lets me you pick and choose from the best of the material from the first album. There's a couple of things that I would love to see on live, but it's not. So if I've got to take one album, it's going to be alive because it's the one album I can play anytime. If I'm in a pissy mood, put on live. There's a smile. If I'm if I'm in a happy mood, put on alive. I'm still in a happy mood. It's just like it is probably one of the greatest albums ever for any band so that would be my holy trinity pick mark that's a great great pick great mm-hmm. pick yeah it, well no one's gonna say oh man that life sucks are they no, oh, no. one's gonna give you any grief <laughs> on that one <laughs> like what are you thinking <laughs> all right so if you want me to 
respond or just show you my next one? You can do whatever you want. This is your show, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I'll respond because your selection was my number three selection. Okay. Now, this this I have like four copies of this now. This uh, my very first copy. I know it's nothing compared to Julian has like one hundred and ninety or something, but um, it's got a lot more than that. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, just just eighty, I think. Oh, but but uh, when I got Sorry. the very the very first time I got this record was for Christmas for my sister, and I was about I don't know I think I was like thirteen years old, and she gave me kind of the same story like how you kind of described it, Julian. When 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 I opened it and I looked at it, she said, "You just need to listen to this. You'll you'll dig it. If you like Kiss, this is the record for you." And it was the kind of same selling point that she used. Because at that point, she had been into Kiss for a long time, right? Jean, my older sister Jean's like seven years older than me. But she was right into it. She had the Kiss written on her binder at school and all that stuff. And she had all the posters in the room and stuff. So I was well aware of Kiss, but I'd never really listened to it too much apart from whenever she would just play it in her room, right? But I quickly got into this record when it came out. I mean, what's there not to like? Like you said, I mean, this... This is just like the best of the first three records, but in live performance. And really, what they missed out sonically in the studio albums, they corrected on here sonically on the live record. I mean, you know, sure, there was a bit of tinkering in the studio with this, but it doesn't matter. To me, when you put on the headphones and you listen to it, you can envision yourself being in Kobo Hall, you know, with them playing, you know, and... It's that's what it's all about to me. I mean, a lot of my favorite records are live albums just because of that. All the world's a stage, and you know, all these other like yes songs and stuff like that. Those are the records that when you put on your headphones and close your eyes, you can envision yourself in those uncomfortable seats or standing in the middle of a big huge crowd and listening to this band, you know, full blast in your ears, and it's just magic, right? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? And I mean, but this this copy. I'm especially happy with because uh, the gentleman in the middle was the one who actually I got this from. There, thank you, Julian. Oh, Lonnie's and, in the middle for me. I thought oh, it was Ace Frehley. Exactly. Ace Frehley's in the middle on the album. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reason why I got why I like this one is because this is the this one is the the U.S. one that he that I got from you that has just really quickly here. This is the. The, the camel label. So that's a 20, right. 23rd pressing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, But I also love it because it, this is the Alan Zentz master of it, which I've really grown to love his work. I've been actually searching out a lot of his uh, ones that he's been involved with. Like even the, I got the 85 uh, first album reissue because Alan Zentz did the master on that. And I've been, I've been looking for a lot of his work. And this is one of my favorite alives now because of that, because he's involved in the remaster of this record. And again, thanks Julian for this. But uh, it, I really, I really love this record. I have the Canadian one. I got the Netherlands one also, and uh, and I got the 2014. And they're all they all sound good. But this is my favorite sounding one. I mean, I listened to all, all four of them and compared them. And this is my one that I always pull out now and listen to. 
Yeah, I keep meaning to make a little bit of a project of people make a big deal out of the Ludwig ones. So if you look on the etching on your copies of Alive, some of them have RL. Usually they'll have yes. sterling stamped in the wax as well. And say that those are the most superior copies. I disagree with that totally. I've got some, you know, and they sell for a premium on eBay whenever anyone mentions that. And I look through mine, I've got ton, I've got more commonly, I've got a Ludwig one than a Zentz. And I think it, it, it comes down to which pressing plant use the best quality vinyl, obviously, which, mm -hmm. which stamper was used for the vinyl. Was it early in its production life or was it towards the end where it's getting all dulled down from you? So, you know, people make, make a kind of a big deal about the, the etchings and who does what, but it all comes down to that copy of the album that you get in your hands and you like how it sounds so that that's you know the best way to look at it rather than necessarily going into the matrix numbers but alive what what more do we need to say i mean put on the headphones put on peter's drum solo 100,000 years listen to the flanger effect you know you close your eyes and just imagine you know the the, the whole sonics of that album do take you on a trip when you shut your eyes and you just turn your brain off exactly Absolutely. Yeah, Lonnie, let's have a um, pick from you. I'm going to go with an album that we talked about not too long ago in Summit's Praises, and that's Destroyer for me. Um, again, first Kiss album I ever had, start to finish, just fantastic. Um, I love Ezra's production on it because I am a big Alice Cooper fan, so I... I, I Embrace Ed, Bob Ezrin's production on that album. So for me, it's it's perfect. And I, when I discovered Alice Cooper years later, it made me appreciate Destroyer even more because I could I could really see Bob's hands all over it after seeing what Bob had done for Alice. Because you listen to those early early Alice records before Alice really found his his niche, and you can see what Bob did. For Alice's career, and you can see what he um, envisioned doing for Kiss, even though Kiss got scared and and you know didn't didn't embrace it the way Alice did. So, but I mean, destroy your start to finish. I mean, we know the songs on there, and you know when I first time I saw Kiss on the reunion tour, they played six of the nine songs on the first time I saw them on the reunion tour, and that's. Incredible, and they played six. They actually played six songs off of the first studio record too. So there's over half your set list just off of two albums. But, can't go wrong with that. But you can't go wrong with twelve songs off those two records. I mean, it's, we we're talking about the core songs in Kiss's catalog with Double Platinum. I mean, well, they're right there on those two albums. I mean, you you can't like Julian said, you can't go wrong. So for me, it's that album, and it's also like I mentioned earlier. You know, the albums and the way they mean, the, how they mean to you and how much they mean to you really goes back to where you were, you know, and the impact that they left on you. Like I said, it was the first Kiss album I ever had. So, I mean, that's my introduction to Kiss and that's, it still holds a high place for me. And, you know, I don't want to, we, you know, we can go into Destroyer a whole lot, but we did that very recently with the production on there and, and just where it took the band to another level, whether some fans embraced it or not. I mean, it, it sounds obviously totally different than anything they'd done in the studio up until that point. Or after that point, you can make 
as well. It's totally different than, than anything they've ever done before or after. So. Yeah, we, we can't talk about the innards of Destroy without uh, pinging James Campion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, James. <laughs> he, would, he wouldn't want to miss another opportunity to talk about Destroyer. Absolutely not. So if you want you want to hear more about Destroyer, go listen to the, the show we did with James about a month or so ago. We delve into it pretty deeply. So, but for me, my whole eternity would have to would have to include Destroyer. There's no doubt about it. Good pick, Ken. Let's move on to you. Okay, I'm having a hard time because this good. Is, we don't want to make this ten years. This is so difficult, uh, you know, because I love, you know, really all Kiss. There okay. may be a few blemishes in there, of course. Um, but I'm trying to think. Well, you know, I almost, I almost picked another compilation. I almost picked uh, Chikara, that compilation, because it had a lot of uh, mostly 80s stuff up to that point, to the late 80s. But um, <clears throat> I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, Lick It Up, because. Even though I look like I love Creatures of the Night, I love Revenge, uh, those. Uh, I, I also love Look It Up. I just thought that was a great album, a great follow up to uh, to Creatures, and to still do it. You know, saying, "Hey, we can do it without the makeup. <laughs> we don't need the makeup. We're still gonna be in your face." And uh, that thing just rocks like crazy from beginning to end. Um, technically, no real ballads on there at all. Um, no, there isn't. So uh, that one with and the guitar work and you know Vinnie Vincent's guitar work on that um, and his help in songwriting, uh, just you know I think I put that on there because I I tend to pull that out and listen to it a lot. Um, so I'm just basing it on that that you know I seem to go back to that for some reason a lot. I mean starting off with Exciter, which is just fantastic and. All the other songs on there, like uh, Not For The Innocent, one of my favorite songs. Um, <laughs> all, all Hell's Breaking Loose, I love that. I mean, it's just, it's it's pretty solid. Uh, so that's that's my other pick. It's, got that, it's got that kiss attitude. Oh, going yeah, take through no, it. you know, you know just, prisoners. Just right? that it kind mm-hmm. of been missing from a lot of their songs for a while and they, and they get the groove back with creatures i mean you you've totally pushed yeah. my third pick it was gonna be lick it up no without way. a doubt because from start to finish it again it's like the first album it's like rock and roll over it's perfection it has the balance of fantastic material great performances great production drumming that is monstrous i mean obviously it's not quite on the same level as we, we we hold creatures, creatures in the highest esteem when it comes to Eric Carr being captured um, perfect, well, well, perfectly. So lick, lick It Up, though, as a balanced piece of product is just like creatures on steroids. They've taken it down a notch to make it more accessible, a little bit more radio-friendly. They've balanced it out with... You know, hard rocking, punch you in the teeth, starting track. You've got your power ballad um, in in the form of a million to one, which that and I still love you. I mean, just utterly insane that Paul was writing that stuff in that period. And you've got the Gene feet stomping material. So it's the last for me, the last great, great Kiss album from start to finish where everything after that. I can nitpick at least two or three songs from each album, including Asylum, 
including revenge. Wow. Um, <laughs> where I can't really nitpick anything tremendously on Lick It Up. So, you know, Vinnie Vincent. They're, yeah. They're, you know, so that, that, that you, you, you've picked it. I've picked it. You know, it's my third of my trinity, without a doubt. I'm not going to change my mind and go off and try and pick something else because you've mentioned that I can't. I have to keep that one. It, it From the day I first heard it, which I borrowed a friend's tape, I sat there jaw agape going, wow, this is Kiss, huh? So there we go. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I th- I've always looked at it like Lick It Up was like a – like a brother sister record there with creatures it's almost like creatures was what they were where it was their attempt to win back their crowd and then lick it up was the record where their vision was more polished now and they kind of perfected what they were thinking of to begin with and kind of smoothened it out and made it more like consumable for the big market right and i thought that Lick It Up was just fantastic that way. I mean, like we said, I don't think there's another record again there where you don't have to skip really anything. I I love that record as well from top to bottom. It's not in my top three, but it's definitely really, really high up on the list for me, and just mainly because of that. And I think that the album cover just nails it and knocks it home to just kind of give you that whole image that, you know, we don't need the makeup to be a great band it's almost like they did that on purpose like here you go this is who we are if you liked what's inside there that's more important but it's almost like that was like a you know kind of like a statement you were trying to make with that cover yeah and the first cover is really not that different than the first album's cover i mean they're, they're both right. just you know faces essentially in a purple shirt but um <laughs> you know there, there's there's it's like it's like a rebirth. Vinny from out of nowhere. Yeah. Sorry, Vinny. Can't help it. So. All right. Who's up next? Mark. It'll be you, isn't it? No, I just did mine with uh, oh, u- yeah. using Ken's as a segue into my own last pick. You know. Okay. Well, my, well, my third one was already mentioned, but I have to bring it up because it is one of my favorite records of all time. You know, it is my number three. Right, yeah. and just uh, just out of uh, if anybody's curious, there this is the, the, actually the Brazilian copy of the record, and the reason I only have this oh. copy, I only have this copy in the 2014. The reason why I listened to this one is because, much to my disappointment, as everybody else had, they didn't use the proper master tapes on the 2014 ones. So I'll always pull this one out because it is the correct copy and i always listen to this but getting to the actual record itself i mean i think we already mentioned quite a lot about this record i mean the drum sound is something that hadn't been heard geez i don't know for if if ever at that point a drum sound like that on a record and i mean you know i think people seem to forget that when people talk about later on, like 20 years later, so or 10 years later about, you know, Metallica and the Black record, I think this album here was the kind of precursor to that drum sound in a sense, because when you talk about big, booming, you know, in-your-face drums, I don't think that album, I think of Creatures of the Night, right? And I mean, they did a lot to make that drum sound happen. There was a lot of trickery that they had to do. They had to, you know, 
put studio monitors into like you know washrooms and tiled rooms and play it back there and re-microphone it to get that certain kind of ambient sound that they were looking for. There was all kinds of stuff that they needed to do to make this the drum sound that they re- achieved, and it was well worth the effort because it's such a great sounding record. And I mean, on top of that, the songwriting itself is great. I mean, I love the songs on there. I mean, even though there's so many different people that play on this record, whether it's solos or who knows what, the bass playing and stuff like that, it still is a Kiss record, still sounds like a Kiss record. And that's the most important thing to me. And like like Julian said, I mean, you have songs like I Still Love You on there that's just, you know, fantastic. And, you know, War Machine, songs like that. I mean, what what more could you really ask for? And I mean, after having to sit through you know, unmasked before, which I like, and The Elder, which I also like as well. I mean, KISS fans were aching for this kind of a record to come out, and they got it. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't pick up and, you know, sell as well as it really should have. But this record, to me, is very important, not only to, I think, KISS history, but it's very important to me as a musician and as a person who likes to record songs and work in studios for, you know, trying to achieve greatness audio wise. Right. So, I mean, this is always kind of a benchmark for me to kind of look at if I want to make a record that sounds big and boomy, I'll always kind of reference this record. Yep. Good points all around. So Lonnie. Well, my last one is of course going to be revenge for my Holy Trinity of kiss records. Um, it's my favorite Kiss album from start to finish. I love the sound on it. I love the sound of the album. And we've all agreed, as much as we've talked about Revenge on the show, that we all do love the way that it's produced and the way that Kiss sounds on that record as opposed to what they had sounded like on previous records in the 80s. So, And then I, I love the songs on it. I love it start to finish. I love Unholy and the way that it's you know it, it starts out, it just like... I'm, I'm, I'll never forget the first time I saw the video. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Kiss. I can't look at the way they look, look at the way they sound. It's like they're, we talked about it with Creatures, that they're back. Well, you know, they were back again with with Revenge, with with a sound and with, and with a look that was missing. So, um, you know, and then the other songs on there, Domino the, the, and I Just Wanna and everything else on there, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it start to finish. It's, came out and I think it came out when I was in junior high. And I I think that's a big reason why it's because, you know, certain age you're so impressionable and things at that age stick with you more than things at other ages stick with you throughout time because you're very impressionable and it just becomes a part of you. So for me, obviously, you know, it's going to pick it. So for me, the, the third part of my Trinity is revenge. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things about anything that we pick, whether we're talking about our Kiss Holy Trinity, that they they probably have a very personal imprint on our you know either our lives, something occurred at the time, whether it was you know for me discovering Kiss, and you know I could right. say the same about Asylum, like you just did with Revenge, because mm-hmm. that was my first Kiss, and I was discovering a whole different sort of music coming from like the Men at Work, Duran Duran, Beatles, John Lennon stuff that, and that I was listening to primarily before, you know, really experiencing heavy metal and hard rock. So, you know, that's why an album like Alive, you know, you remember what you were doing. You remember being in the, in, 
you know, Music City in Binghamton, New York, and, you know, getting the cassettes down off the wall and looking at the track listings and, you know, coming back and thinking, well, this song, this album has more songs than the other. I don't know shit about the band. So that, that makes sense to my 14-year-old logic, just like for you, junior high, 14 years old, and Revenge comes out. And it's so it's such a striking visual change for the band from where they'd been the years before. I mean, it's probably the only time visually that they were as striking as they'd been in the 70s in, in their costumes and makeup, because I'm sorry, that, that glam stuff doesn't quite cut it uh, <laughs> visually as, as a comparison. So, you know, that's the great stuff about these these picks that we make today, that, that they all do connect, and everyone out there who's listening is going to have their own takes on it. So, Ken, we have a, have a need a third pick from you, don't we? No, because... No? What were your uh, three? Rock and Roll Over and uh, Double Platinum. Double Platinum. And like that. Because you actually talked you, about yeah, you, know, you remembered yours and you didn't try and change them. No, I, I could have changed. I mean, you know, and like Lonnie's, I mean, I almost, you know, Revenge was close for me for, you know, in that top three. Both the Revenge and Creature of the Night were very close, you know, to getting in there. It, it, it was hard to, to come up with three. Yeah, it's 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 very it's, very it's, difficult. It's very hard to come up with three, but I don't think I would change my opinion of those three if we were to do the same show, you know, six months or a year down the road. I think mm-hmm. I'd be I might do them in a different so order. Things. I I think I would still always go to the same well. But yeah. let's give people something a little bit more to think about. What would you say? is your holy trinity of albums albums you know any band you you're, uh, you're, yeah. you i mean try and do this off the cuff right now you know you're probably going to have the most honest response thinking of stuff and later on you can listen back and say oh shit i didn't say that one you know but <laughs> well, I, mark you look like you're you're ready to, jump, ready in, to jump into the video you're, you're set go <laughs> this this to me is the record that spawned everything for me to make a band okay when i heard when i heard this record it wasn't the first record i heard from this band but it was the record that when i snuck it out of my sister's collection and listened to it had such a huge impact on me that i I listened to it constantly yeah nice pick nice Mm -hmm. now the funny thing with this record though and I only r- learned about this years later, of course, was the connection to Kiss that this has is that this is the same guy who did the solo record covers, did this cover as well, right? Uh, and favorite- Mark, I mentioned for, for listeners, that's Rush Fly By Fly by Night. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Sorry. People not Rush- seeing the video. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Rush Fly By Night. It is the second record of their catalog. And most importantly, it is the first record with Neil Peart on it. Now... <laughs> His drumming has gone down through the annals of history as being one of the best, you know, rock drummers, period. But I'll tell you something. Being a big diehard and having them, like, they're here for me and everyone else is kind of spews down from them. <clears throat> I'll, I'll be honest in saying that if you want to really hear Neil Peart on fire, inspired and happy to not be working at his tractor farm job anymore in St. Catharines, you put this record on because 
he's totally on fire. I mean, the double kick stuff that he does on this record and his triplet fills and stuff are just unbelievable. It just, it was like he was trying to say, I don't want to go back to a nine to five job and I'm going to make sure that people hear me on this record. And it's just fantastic. And I mean, the, the, the songs on here, like by torn the snow dog, it's like a precursor to everything that comes later for rush on here. I mean, it's, it's sure. It's a weird song title and the lyrics are kind of a odd kind of story to it, but it is the blueprint of what is to come rush from here on in from there and then you have the kind of more radio friendly songs like fly by night right and songs like that and then you have like anthem you have you know uh geez what else in the end like you have so many great songs on this record and i mean it's a good mix of straight ahead hard rock and the dabblings of the progressive rock that they would become so known for as well in it and i love terry brown's production on it the drum sound is great on here, and for all you audiophile, you know, record collectors, this is the Gilbert Kong pressing. So, if in case you're wondering, I know it's a big thing amongst Rush collectors. I do. You got to look for the Gilbert Kong one, right? So that's the uh, I got that one, I and I know that there's also a yeah. There you go. And there's also apparently I think there's a George Graves one who actually you mastered one of my band's records. He's he works at the Lacquer Channel in Toronto. So if he I don't know if if he's a listener of podcasts, but if by any miraculous chance he listens to this, hey George, you're awesome. And uh, yeah, so I, I really love this record. So I can't say anything more than that. It, this is one of my top three records. Period. That's a really, really good pick, and I gotta agree with everything you said on that. Just totally awesome album. Um, I'm gonna throw mine, Motley Crue, "Shout at the Devil," and my relationship with Motley Crue started the same day as with Kiss. Bought Asylum and Theater of Pain down at my local Kmart in Vestal, and it, Theater of Pain sucks ass, but you know it got me to go back and discover. The first album, which is almighty, unbelievable, incredible. But what makes me take Shout at the Devil over that is the sound of both the production and Mick Mars's guitar on Shout at the Devil. That blows Too Fast for Love out of the water. And if I could have Too Fast or Theater of the Pain, Theater of Pain sound the same as Shout at the Devil did sonically. I would be a happy, happy, happy person. But Shout at the Devil's got everything going for it. It's got thematic audio illustrations with the intro, The Children mm-hmm. of the Beast. It's got the angry, rude, aggressive guitars and Knock 'em Dead Kid and Danger. It's got your kind of your 80s blueprint power ballad, you know, Too Young to Fall in Love. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hell of a right. ballad right there. And of course, the title <laughs> track. So. In terms of Holy Trinity albums, shout at the devil. Not with Red them. Hot, though. you got to remember that song. Oh, it's a great song. Oh, my fantastic. God, what about that drum intro? Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, and that's the only album. you just you, you got to listen to the studio cuts of Motley Crue because once you get into the live realm, Vince is a liability. But in the studio, <laughs> they, they could all bring it. So, Lonnie, what about a pick from you? Well, I'm going to go with Appetite for Destruction as one of mine. And I don't say what you want about Guns N' Roses or what they became after Appetite for Destruction, but you just take that album 
by itself, and there's no denying, in my opinion, that it is. It, you'd have to put it in. Anybody would have to put it in their top. We're doing top threes. I think you have to put it in your top five for almost anybody. It is just start to finish. You talk about albums that have no filler on it. That's that is one of those albums. I mean, it's that's one of those albums that you put on and and you never hit the skip button ever because it's 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 so and it's just it's become to me anyway it's just become so iconic that it's it's just a part of a, of a, of americana almost to me that album is with 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 music in the 80s and where it took that band from the streets of LA to becoming literally the biggest band in the world from 88 to 93 and until they became too big and it all just fell apart but that album by itself um, I remember I had it on audio cassette because you gotta remember 1988 is when it even though it came out in 87 88 is when it really took off and I remember having it on cassette and like I and I had like <laughs> you'd open it up and you open up the cassette and like you unfold it whatever yep. and you could see the album lyrics and that and, and it was Guns N' Roses you know so it had like the picture of like the naked girl in there with like the the bar across her breast you know <laughs> and like my buddy he got and I'm like, I'm like in fourth grade and like my buddy he got his copy like at Walmart or something so like or I don't know where he got it at but like his his didn't have that. Like it, like it, or like that, or his mom like tore it off or something. I don't know. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, he's looking at my." <laughs> hey, remember, you're nine years old, but it's still just funny as hell. And I think about that. But that album, start to finish, for me, is just. I mean, it, it is just perfection. To steal a word from Julian, what he said about an album earlier, um, from "Welcome to the Jungle," to "It's So Easy," to "Night Train," those. Three songs in a row that kick it off. My God, it's just in, it's just incredible, and um, I've never seen the band live, and I will get to this summer, so I'm ec- ecstatic about that. I've seen Slash several times. I saw Velvet Revolver. I, you know, follow them as much as I could. But living in St. Louis, obviously, we didn't get a chance to after July second, nineteen ninety one, and when. <laughs> They released those um, cities last week that they were coming to, and I was like, "Holy crap! I can't believe they're actually coming here." Um, but Tommy's not Tommy Simpson, but um, the uh, fair? No, no, <laughs> <I'm either>. <laughs> <laughs> but the rhythm guitarist—it's been in the band for a while now—has um, said that he's actually from St. Louis, and has said that um, Axel has feels bad about what happened here. 25 years ago and would like to make it up to the city. At least that's what I've heard. So you, better, fact, when you those... better watch your back then. If Axel, Oh, wants I know to it's, it's it. going to be free security. That show will be freaking insane, but, and rumor is it's going to be at Bush stadium. So I am super excited, but for me, appetite for destruction is hands down. might be my favorite album. It might be my favorite album of all time, even more than revenge. That's a, really, that's a really good pick as well. I remember I've got one quick Guns N' Roses story, and that's, uh, again, Music City down in Binghamton. I remember they were getting a lot of press before Appetite came out, so I went down to the store. I remember flipping through the cassettes there, and there was, oh, Live Like a Suicide up there, <laughs> or Great White. So which one did I pick? 
You pick white. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, you know what's funny though. I mean, you got to remember one thing. I think that that record, more than anything, reinvigorated American dangerous hard rock again. I mean, there was really? there wasn't a record that at that time around there for a long time. There hadn't been a record that had that kind of dangerous vibe to it like Guns N' Roses had at that point. I mean, even when they started playing live, I remember I watched that show, the Live at the Ritz, that MTV broadcasted mm-hmm. with them. And that whole vibe of that show, you felt like it could implode at any second on stage, that that whole show. And I mean, that that was what was so cool about it, though. I mean, they were they were a, they were looked at as like a dangerous band. They were, you know, heavy drug users and drinkers, and that, that's it was like Aerosmith Mach Two at its heyday. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what was I think it was missing from rock and roll at that point. There was still mm-hmm. at that point it was a lot of glammy stuff and a lot of you know new wavy weird hairdos with keyboard stuff too and i mean that just kind of kicked it all in the nuts a bit and brought it back to more americanized rock and roll like the good old days i think yeah then it was all you know just if you got a cigarette dangling out of your mouth and a bottle of jd and you look like a biker rocker then you get all the guys like uncle slam zodiac mind warp love hate and then kiss of course took the image motley Crue took the image um, you know, it, it definitely had an imprint, you know, le- left a scar across the face of music. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken, let's get to you in a pick. Okay. Well, for me, not everything was always hard rock. I, I like all types of music. And uh, when I started out buying albums, one of my earlier first albums I bought back in 74 was uh, Linda Ronstadt, Heart Like a Wheel. And... I just love that. that album. I mean, I'm not a. It has its country, tinge, you know, country, you know, music style to it, but a little bit of pop rock, you know, it's a little mix. And uh, I was never really a, you know, country music fan ever, really. Um, but man, the way she performs and sings on these songs, and these are songs, of course, that you know she doesn't write these songs, but the way she interprets these songs written by other people are just fantastic. I mean, but this is this goes down as one of the, you know, the greatest her I think it's her greatest album that she's ever done. I think it goes down as that. I mean, it had of course the hits like You're No Good and When I When Will I Be Loved. Um but there's so many other songs on there that were not hits that are just great songs. Um yeah, written by whether Hank Williams or, or, you know, there's even a Paul Inca song on there. And it's just, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like a Paul Inca song. It's, it just sounds like she makes them her own. Um, and I, I would listen to that thing over and over again. And I still listen to it. And one of the reasons I picked it, too, is uh, these picks is I just, uh, you know, bought a turntable a while back, you know, some months ago. And I started listening to the Kiss albums again, you know, playing my vinyl and then kind of rebuying Kiss albums too, uh, other than the 2014 reissues. So some of the first albums I bought are the ones that I knew I would go back to and listen to over again. So I went out and found used copies of, you know, Heart Like a Wheel and and some others. And that's, I know that's, that I'm going to listen to it and I love it, so... And that, that's, yeah. a, that's a really cool thing with Linda Ronstadt. I mean, I, I can't admit to knowing much of her stuff, but I do know her collaboration work with Neil Young. Um, mm-hmm. 
and and that's where you know I'd appreciate you know Harvest is a fantastic Neil Young album that she sings on you know so it, it's it doesn't have to stay in the rock and roll realm. I mean, I came from a background, like I said, Duran Duran, Men at Work, yeah. um, John Lennon, and the Beatles. Yeah. So, Beatles. you know, we, we've lost Lonnie for now, so I'll get into my next pick, which was the Sex Pistols. And never mind the bollocks would be that pick because it sounds fantastic. It's got everything of any consequence on it, but I can't put it up there in my Holy Trinity because it doesn't have Glenn Matlock on bass. Um, obviously, Steve Jones did all the bass because Sidney, not so vicious, didn't know which end of the bloody instrument to hold at that point. Um, he plays a little bit on one song. But there is the bootleg album, which is now officially released, uh, Spunk, which has all the sessions with Glenn on it. Um, it's just the seminal punk album for me. I know the Ramones predated a little bit. I know there are other bands that are of an equal stature. But punk wouldn't have gotten half the mileage it did without a band like the Pistols. Because, come on, the Clash were anything but dangerous. And, mm -hmm. and that's probably the other big band from British punk that comes through. We don't need to get into talking about the Damned or any of the minor players. Um, it was the Pistols. The Pistols drove the scene. The Pistols started a movement. The Pistols had the material as well. They knew how to play well enough. Were any of them virtuosos? No. But they captured it. Whether you've got John's vocals, his lyrics, whether you've got Steve's guitar, Glenn's original bass is absolutely incredible. It's just pure rock and roll with an overlaying of teen anger for the time and the period, you know, of what was mm -hmm. going on in England at the time. So it's it's a social statement. It's an anger. It's a sound. It's a pissed-off young rock and roller. And what it gave birth to is so much greater than what it was. So that's what makes it more important to me. Um, I can listen to that album any day. And, and that goes the same for Never Mind the Bollocks because... You know, I can just throw either on and listen to them all the way through, and I just smile. I grin at the the humor. So, Mark. Yeah. Well, before I go to my next one, I'm going to say, though, if you really like that record, they have a really excellent DVD out, the making of Nevermind the Bollocks. They had a VH1 classic album series, and it's really, really fantastic. They go back into the studio, they put up the tapes, and they show you what they did for the recording of it they have steve jones and they're talking about the making of the songs it's it's really really good if you're into that album and you like the sex pistols you must go and get it it's excellent now getting back to my pick really quickly i have another one that this this inspired me to just pick up the guitar the first time i heard this band and the first time i actually heard this record i was completely floored I don't, whether it was the just complete sheer doominess of this record or the complete bombast of it. And like, it was one of those records where if you were had a darkened room and, you know, it, it could bring you into that spooky place if you let it, you know, and it's. Oh, hell yeah. So oh, Nem's pressing. Wow. Yeah. This is a pressing that I got not long ago. I was hunting for this one. And uh, just for all you people who are interested in looking there, it is a red vinyl version of it. So, and it sounds really, really good. 
And beyond the fact that it's a red vinyl, I mean, this record, whether it's on any kind of vinyl or on CD or on cassette or whatever, this to me was what made me go out, buy a Marshall stack, got get my, you know, got, I got my first copy Les Paul at that point. I think it was like 14 years old. And I just sat down, put this record on, and just spent hours, like eight hours a day in my room learning how to play guitar because of this record. Okay. And what was great about this, and if there's anybody out there who's thinking about even starting to play guitar, this Paranoid, even the first record, is a great place to start because it's really cool music, but it's not overly hard music to learn, especially if you already have a basic grasp of guitar playing. The riffs are really cool, but they're not like it's not like trying to play Ingve Malmsteen. I mean, this is this is just like riffs that you can sit down and play. If you give yourself the time and sit down with your guitar, you could pick up songs like Iron Man or Into the Void or I mean, Sweetly. Sweetly, I remember learning how to yeah. play that one, listening to that album. Yeah, and and I mean, it's it's, it's just essentially four chords in that song, but they sound awesome. And in the context of Geezer Butler's bass playing. And Bill Ward's drumming and Ozzy singing, I mean, it makes for a really awesome record. And I mean, at that point, sonically, they they had to jump up too because the first record was done in like eight hours on a little four-track studio. And that's one of my favorite records, the first Sabbath album. It's fantastic. But then Paranoid, they went up and, you know, they had a little bit more time, worked at a little eight-track studio. But this is the first record they did at an actual 16-track studio in England. So it does have a bit better sonic quality to it. And I'm so glad it did because some of the low end and the low tuning that they use in this, like they're down tuned to C sharp in some of these songs, like Children of the Grave is like a drop C sharp. And that's like pretty low. I mean, that's like elastic bands for like bass guitar, right? So, but I mean, it's, it has such a great tone to it. I mean, you put that now on, you know, vinyl and put it on your stereo and turn it up. It just shakes the walls. And I mean, that's what it's all about. I think when you're young and you start getting into rock and roll and heavy metal music and you, it, it makes you want to go and pick up your guitar and play. That's what this album did for me. And it still does it for me now. When I put it in my car and I'm listening to it, when I get home, I'll always go and pick up my guitar and start playing afterwards. That's awesome. And, you know, the key thing, I guess, as musicians is when you're learning how to play you got to learn how to walk before you can ride a bike you, you got to try the three chord stuff first before you get to the more com you don't start off trying to play rush or yes uh, you yeah. know king crimson or blood sweat and tears you know you don't start difficult you start with the hairy gorilla music like the sabbath and come on kiss as well Pick up a Kiss album and try and play something off Dress to Kill. I mean, come on, or Hotter Than Hell. That mm -hmm. is not complex rock and roll. So that, that's a great thing on uh, on that side of things. So let's get, let's get to one of your picks before we wrap up as well. Um, I'm gonna say, one of my picks is um, Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears album from '92, and it seems like everything I pick is from like from '91, '92 around in there, but. <laughs> 
I guess I guess something was really going on with me around that time. So but... you're, st- you're still a 14-year-old man-child. I think so. <laughs> if you ask my wife, I stopped maturing about the time of 91, 92. Well, so. we're men. We all did. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I love that album. Um, uh, no More Tears was... It's 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 a it's it's another one of those albums, in my opinion, that is just fantastic <coughs> from start to finish. Um, Ozzy, Ozzy sounds incredible on it, and Ozzy's not much to see live. And even back in the early '90s, wasn't much to see live even 25 years ago. But and Zach's guitar work on there is absolutely incredible too. And Mike Inzes is on there as the bass player, and Randy Castillo is the drummer on there. That's like an all-star band that Ozzy has on that album. Um, but the songs on there are incredible too. And it was, I think it was my, it was about probably my introduction to Ozzy too. So maybe that's why that album just sticks out to me when I was going through and, and, and thinking of different albums by different <coughs> Um What are your guys' thoughts on, on that? Um, it's, it's my favorite Ozzy studio album, even more than, even more than, um, than Blizzard of Oz and the, and that early stuff with Randy Rhodes. Um, just, I guess because of, of my age when it came out, but that, that album to me is with Mr. Tinker train, my mom coming home. And then the road to nowhere, how it ends, I think is fantastic. And then it was supposed to be Ozzy's last tour. Well, this is 26 years ago. Ozzy's still touring now, but it was supposed to be Ozzy's retirement tour. My brother, um, went to that show, you know, he got, came home with a shirt that said no more tours tour 1992, you know, it's kind of funny. Ozzy's still out touring today with Sabbath, but and nope, I, nope. I, I think Sharon will keep throwing Ozzy out there as long as she possibly can. Well, they'll prop him up on stage. It'll be like I think so a, weekend, a weekend of Bernie's with Ozzy. Oh, I so. think so, too. I think Sharon will keep throwing him out there even after he's dead. <laughs> you know, that's the first Ozzy album I skipped buying. Really? I just couldn't be bothered with it. After No Rest for the Wicked really grated on me after a while. There's a couple of really good songs on there. Uh, Crazy Babies, Demon Alcohol, Stand Out. Um, it, it was just Zach was so one note. I remember seeing the video for No More Tears. I was like, yeah, this is a really cool song. And it is a great song, no doubt about it. But it was just, there was nothing that made me really, it didn't grab me and make me go out and buy it. So I, I stay in the past with Ozzy. You know, Ultimate Sin for me was very much kind of like the highest he developed and because of the material that was being written for him by that point. So go backwards from Ultimate Sin to Bark at the Moon to obviously the randy albums and that's all i need from ozzy afterwards uh, you know it's no rest for the wicked is the cutoff point for me i didn't bother i've never owned osmosis i've never i, I think i've got black rain for some stupid reason i've got the, i've got the japanese import of that you know i didn't buy what it was another one shout or something Scream. Yeah, well, whatever. That's pretty bad. So i ozzy you know just got a little bit too pathetic for me so Interesting. Well, honestly, I mean, for me, my favorite guitar player was always Jakey e. Lee. I mean, I know that's usually rubs people the wrong way in the Aussie camp because they say, what, not Randy Rhodes? You know, it's like, well, I love Randy Rhodes, but Jakey e. Lee to me kind of connected a bit more as a player. I thought he was a bit better of a writer in some aspects. I thought I liked his overall playing a little bit better. But I mean, don't get me wrong. Randy Rhodes is like, you know, he, he carved out a whole another niche for guitar players, you know, I mean, he's fantastic, but there's, I don't know, there's just, you know how it is, it's just something connects you with somebody for whatever reason, you can't, maybe you can't even explain it, but I really like Jakey Lee, but this record, 
I I actually liked it a lot better than uh, No Rest for the Wicked. I mean, I I really like Dwayne Barron and John Purnell's production. I've always liked their stuff. They did a Dream Theater's Awake album as well, and there's a similarity in sound between those two records if you were to put them side by side and A B them. And I mean, that's obviously has a lot to do with them and their production style. But I thought that Ozzy um, had a little bit better overall picture of his songs on this record, only because of their involvement, I noticed. Because if you watch, I don't know if you've ever seen a documentary that was made around the making of this record. Don't but blame me. Yeah, they they were involved a lot in the lyric writing. They sat down with him and went through the lyrics. And Ozzy, I remember, was in one scene that was really cool. He, they were going through some of the lyrics. And Ozzy looked at him like with this really weird look. He goes, do I have to keep singing this devil shit all the time? Like he was kind right. of like, you know, wondering why he has to do And I mean, they really sat down and went through the stuff with him, you know, to kind of grab what's familiar about Ozzy and kind of push it a little bit, you know. But I thought No More Tears as a song even was Ozzy stretching a little bit out of the norm. I mean, you know, there's that whole breakdown in the middle with that orchestra section, which has one of Zach's better guitar solos that he's ever played in there. And I thought that Randy Castillo was a great drummer. Mike Inez was good too. But don't forget, there's a lot of ghost work on that record too by Bob Daisley, which nobody knows. Well, not nobody knows. Obviously, I know, but a lot of people... Like you just told a secret. (laughs) nobody knows nobody knows well a lot of people are probably not aware of it i guess right that he was in there in uh ghosting a lot and you know i even heard rumor that geezer butler got brought in for stuff too on some of the recordings i don't know if it was this record or a record before that but you know that was happening on here too but mike ines is a great bass player i mean there there's no need to have to defend him he's he's great and he he's a great bass player but i think overall this record to me was better than uh you know no rest for the wicked i think it just sounds better and then you know it also helped that he had lemmy write a couple of one of his better songs on here too like mama i'm coming home and i think there's another one on there too hellraiser, hellraiser yeah there you go all right, I'm going to throw in my final pick. And I I could easily go with something very predictable like Def Leppard High and Dry, ACDC Power mm-hmm. Age, or Stained Class by Judas Priest. But in terms of Holy Trinity, there are just certain albums that grab me, and I can't really tell you why. Um, but this one's Def Leppard related, and since it came out, I can't remember whether it was 2000, 2001, it has been played on at least a weekly basis. And it's not even their own material. It's the Cybernauts. And it was a side project by Joe Elliott and Phil Cullen with Trevor Boulder, Woody Woodman, Siri, and uh, who's the other guy? I can never remember. Dick Decent from The Damned. And it is a tribute to Mick Ronson, who obviously mm-hmm. as a guitarist is incredibly important as a musician. It covers... Mm-hmm. A lot of Ronson-era Bowie stuff, some stuff off Ronson's solo, and they threw in some Jimi Hendrix and other stuff just because they can, some Lou Reed, um, which... So it is an absolutely killer live album. You know, watch that man, hang on to yourself, changes, Superman, five years, Cracked Actor, Moon Age Daydream, Angel Number 9, Gene Genie, Life on Mars, The Man Who Sold Mm -hmm. the World, Starman, Width of a Circle... Ziggy Stardust, 
one of my all-time favorite songs, White Light, White Heat, and it's this version because I can't stand the Velvet Underground. But this, they, they give this song something that I'm just like, wow. Um, and Rock and Roll Suicide. So they, they do a couple of um, studio songs on the second disc, including all the young dudes. So you've got Bowie, you've got Ronson, you've got Lou Reed. You, you've got all these artistic things rolled up into Def Leppard as well as the original Spiders. And it's an album I've never been able to step away for very long. So I, as much as I, like I said, those other albums are, you know, the cult, love, which are, are albums that mean a lot to me. This is just probably the top of the top because of what it was in. And especially nowadays with Bowie being gone and so many of these old rockers going on to have a, a band of this quality put out an album that was, you know, unbelievable. And there was another Mick Ronson tribute done that glenn matlock and some other bands you know did material on joe elliott and phil and also showed up on that one but it, you can't hold a candle to this particular one so cybernauts check it out on youtube because it for me is a really an incredible album um you know 18 greatest hits so hmm. ken one more from you one more um yeah i like you're saying jay and i mean i could have went i mean like you talk, he mentioned really quickly high and dry i mean that's I could have picked that one easily. That I could have picked that one. I could have picked uh, Van Halen's first album. I could have picked uh, what was the other one? Uh, Back in Black. You know that sort of thing because those are just solid albums. But uh, the next album I'll pick is uh, Twenty One Twelve by Rush, which is a. I, I remember the first time hearing it. I was in someone's car and he said, "Oh, listen to listen to this," and he started playing this. I was like. Oh, what's going on and you know there's some synth or whatever going on at the beginning and then all of a sudden it just kicks in and it goes crazy and then when Getty Lee starts singing the temples of syrinx yeah. <laughs> I'm like holy cow I mean it was uh, such a shock to me but it just it made me whoa okay this is this is different this is this is something new and it's it was cool and then just recognizing right away the the drumming going mm -hmm. on behind this band was just I'd never heard any drummer play like that uh, you know before or since really uh, so and and the way that so I bought, bought that when as soon as I could get it get my hands on it and, and you know the first whole side is 2112 the one whole story and I just it felt it you know and this band's they can they're playing as top notch on this they're, the story the lyrics are top notch. It's a you know it's it's more thoughtful. You're thinking. It's uh, you know story driven kind of song. But then on the second side of the album, you get the they can write these three to four minute songs that are great, catchy, hard rocking tunes. So uh, that was just an album that I keep going back to and and got me into Rush. Uh, so, because I started buying their back catalog the same way I was doing Kiss uh, when I got into them. I gotta, t I gotta tell you something though, Ken, real quick. I don't know if you're aware of this, but th have you seen the the CD, DVD, Blu-ray deluxe edition of Twenty One Twelve? I seen it, and I think it's is it on sale. You know, or you know what? Today? I got it. I got it, and I'm telling you, if you like Twenty One Twelve, grab it. it they, when you put the DVD in. They have a matching comic that goes through the whole story of 2012. Like, for, like they do like a whole story thing with the with the whole album. 
like they show like the whole story of twenty one twelve. It's comic in comic form as the song as the song plays. It's really really well done, and they even do it with the with the other songs like Passage to Bangkok. They show like a train right. going through and them smoking joints, and like it's all kinds of stuff like accompanying with them with the song. It's really really well done. I'll, I'll, I was I'll I was suggesting sure to pick it up because you know what's funny about that. You say that is um, I got a. A notice or something on Facebook about that specific uh, album, you know, CD, DVD, or Blu-ray is on sale today. On oh. So I was like, "Hey, uh, this is like, I guess now I have to get it." So yeah, th- there you yeah. go. Now, now you have to. <laughs> All right, Lonnie, one more from you. Um, one more from me. And that's tough because it's tough. To, it's tough to say just one more. But for me, it's an album that you guys are, might be unaware of or might not even heard the band. It's a band called Silvertide, and the album's called Show and Tell. These guys are from Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them or not. If you haven't, go ahead and look them up. They're um, fantastic. I've seen them a few times. They've come through town. They broke up a while back. Um, but do you, go on Spotify or, or something and, and look them up. It's it's great. Listen, it's it's a great album from start to finish. It's really hard, gritty rock from start to finish. Um, there's a song on there called Ain't Coming Home. It's the lead song on there. And the reason why I know of them is, is, is that they opened for Velvet Revolver, actually, in 2004 when I saw them. And we're all there. Everybody's there, obviously, to see Velvet Revolver. No one ever heard of the opening band usually you know, you're just kind of whatever through them and they came out and tore the place up like i've never seen an opening band do before and like the lead singer he jumps into the crowd even at one point and it's like that's pretty ballsy for the lead singer of an opening band to jump into the crowd you don't know how the crowd's going to respond and they um close out their set with the first song on their on their album called ain't coming home and these guys were had such great stage presence that by the end of the song, they had the crowd sing along with them to a song that no one had heard before, to a album that hadn't that hadn't come out yet. It, it really, really, I was really taken aback by it that that these guys were able to do that to a crowd who wasn't there to see them, didn't know anything about them. So, I they had like some they had like an EP of stuff for for sale and I went and bought it that night and then I went and bought their album that came out when it came out and it's incredible you guys should take a listen to it and people listen to this take take a listen to it they're called Silver Tide they're from Philadelphia and the album's called Show and Tell so maybe that's an odd pick but it, you know but it, it's it's an album that is that I listen to all the time still so no such thing as an odd pick. You know, yep. everyone's got their stuff. I mean, you go into my iTunes, you're going to find lots of Marillion. <laughs> yeah, no, you're going to find lots of Marillion. You're going to find some yep. Pet Shop Boys, some Spandau Ballet, Simple, Simply Red, you know, Simple Minds. There's there's all sorts of stuff. There is no – I'm not getting tied to listening to one genre of music. I've got stuff going back to the 50s. i got, you know, Elvis, oh, lots of Elvis, you know. So what's that? That's King Crimson, Lark's Tongues and Aspect. Uh, that's way out of my realm. I love that record. That was one of the, that's one of the other ones I was really, really hip on and was a huge impact. A, a, just really quickly, too, just this one, too. Yes, Relayer. Well, yeah, I mean, yes. You know, incre- yeah. incredible band. I've only ever owned, you know, Yes's Greatest Hits. So, yeah. um, you know, 
All right, we've gone way, way, way off topic today. With uh, you know, that just that just tells you a little bit more about us as you know some of the guys you see on the show a lot of the time. So it, it allows you us to introduce ourselves musically. You know, you know where our you know ears have been over the years and where they still are for that matter. You know, to give you a better feel for us as uh, not only Kiss fans but as, as hosts on this show. So let's wrap it up there, guys. Um, Mark, thank you. Lonnie thank and you. Ken, thank you all. You know, share some of your holy trinity of Kiss albums, or you know, what are those ones outside of Kiss that you like um, on the Facebook page, or come over to the Kiss FAQ message boards and, and share your opinion there. You know, because we've all come from different places to be fan, and it's a great way to get a read for other people by knowing how they got into these albums and what those ones are. So, you know, take a lead from the questions we've asked ourselves today, and hopefully, we'll see you on the board. But if not, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.